One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Good morning. Awesome. Well, it's so good to see you guys. And uh, I'm just glad to see anybody on Memorial Day weekend. It's one of those times during the year that you think, uh, I'll be there. Nate will be there. Uh, Jared will be there. Uh, two or more. That's, that counts. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of people on vacation, but we're so glad you're here. I'll tell you guys, I've got a little bit of a pet peeve. I'll just tell you this uh, as I get started. I've got a pet peeve I'll, I'll give you a heads up on, um, and that is this. Uh, when, when you ever show up somewhere, have you ever been somewhere, maybe it's a party and somebody shows up early and they say, where is everybody? Has anybody ever heard somebody say that? Where is everybody? I'm like, what does that make us? Nobodies? <laughs> And uh, so anyway, you're not a nobody. I don't know where the rest of the nobodies are, but you're a somebody, and uh, we're so glad that you're here today. And uh, if you have your Bible, why don't you grab it with me and turn to the book of Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, and while you turn there, I'll just mention this. Uh, I know Nate welcomed everybody. We're so glad that you're here. Guests, we're so glad uh, that you're here. Hope that you feel right at home uh, today, and you've joined us on a great time because um, this is uh, Memorial Day weekend is kind of the, I don't know if it's the official or the unofficial start of summer. Is it un- I guess it's unofficial. Unofficial. Here in Florida, summer can start in like March, and then Memorial Day is kind of the second start, and then I think summer actually begins like third third week of June or something like that. So we're By that point, we're well into summer here, but uh, it's the beginning of summer, and, uh, you know, it has been a journey over the last year. I can tell you this, summer of 2020, uh, we never would have imagined that uh, the last 12, 15 months or so would have looked like they have, uh, you know, spending almost a year, nine months, not able to gather as a church and, you know, not able to, to feel that sense of togetherness. And of course, now we've been able to regather uh, here bi-weekly, which is awesome. It's so good to be together. And then in the off weeks uh, here, we're in house church. Um, but we are, are, as we're leading into summer, uh, I really believe that we are stepping into an exciting time of what God is doing. And I think all of you know, most of you have been a part of the journey with us, that we have stepped out uh, towards uh, getting a building of our own for the last seven years. We have been a church family without a home. And, um, and we believe that even as, uh, you know, we've got thrown out of kind of our normal routine, uh, we just felt like it was time for us to step out uh, by faith. And you ever have one of those moments where uh, you feel God stirring something in your heart and, and you step out and you think, God, this better be you because if it's not you, we got a big problem. We got a big problem. And we were in that place um, and, and really have stepped out in faith to get a building. And uh, I think most of you know we received our first Vision Builders offering uh, towards that building at the beginning of this month, and we have seen God just doing miraculous, miraculous things. And I actually want to encourage you to come back next Sunday, okay? Come back next Sunday, because we've got some good information that we're going to share with you. That's my little marketing ploy. Come back next Sunday, okay? And now you may be saying, come back next Sunday. I thought we were bi-weekly. Uh, well, here's, here's the, the little curveball. We, we're bi-weekly, but we're actually the first, third, and fifth Sunday. So you're, you're good to be here today, 
but then next week will be the first. So we've got back-to-back gatherings, okay? Who's excited about that? Who, who remembers how to do that? Who remembers that? Like getting dressed two Sundays in a row. I think I remember how to do that. Anyway, well, come back next Sunday, and, and we're, we're going to share some information with you. This week, though, I really want to encourage you to be in prayer. Uh, I, I know so many of you have been praying. You've been giving so generously. Uh, and, and I want to ask you this week to really be in prayer. We've got some significant steps forward uh, in our process. And uh, you want to know what those are, come back next Sunday. I'll share with you what those are, all right? Okay, well, Nehemiah chapter 4 and... Uh, we're going to pick up in this series that we've been in that we're calling The Uprising. The Uprising. And we really started this on Easter. And I would say this, if you want a little bit of context, maybe theological context for uh, what we're talking about in this series, we're really talking about the, the application of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, we love to get together on Easter. We had a great Easter Sunday out in the park. We had a little dueling preachers. Who remembers that? Yeah. Uh, And we got together out in the park. Everybody loves Easter, but how many of you know we need Easter more than once a year? You know, it's not just good enough to get together once a year and go, yay, we win, and then live like a loser the rest of the year. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, And really what we're talking about is the application of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. And here's the beautiful news of the gospel is not just that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but that you can too. And not just when you die, okay? The good news is this, that Paul said this, since you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. And so, yes, there will be a moment for every single one of us that we will experience the fullness of the resurrection bodily, but right now, we can live in the resurrection life of Jesus. We can live, I like to say it this way, we can live an uprising even in a fallen world. And, you know, uh, you don't have to, uh, it doesn't take much faith to get down in life, right? Right? I mean, just live in our day and age. Turn on the news. Scroll through the news. How many of you know it will get you down? It doesn't take any faith. Just look at the newspaper. It will get you down. And, but, but I believe that God wants us to not just live in the natural, but to see through eyes of faith that we live. Uh, the, the Bible says this, that the way of the righteous winds upward. That's what God has for you. Everything God has for you is up. The orientation of your life is up. The orientation of your mind is up. God wants you to set your mind on things above. The orientation of your desires, your habits uh, are to be upward. And so that's what we're talking about. We're looking at this book of Nehemiah, this incredible story of this uh, ragtag group of people that had been through a hard, hard time. In fact, they had been uh, pulled away from their homeland. They, they had been taken into captivity for generations. Uh, God's people pulled away from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem really uh, is symbolic of God's purpose to bless every one of us. God's purpose is a good purpose. God's purpose for you is, uh, is to bless you. And that's what God's plan was for Israel But they were out of the blessing. Have you ever had a moment where, uh, you know, what God says about you and what you see in the natural doesn't seem to line up, right? 
And, and so we, uh, we're looking at this story of these people and what they did. And so I want to pick up in Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 6 this morning. And it says this, But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. You ever prayed one of those kinds of prayers? Get them, God. That's what he's saying, okay? Uh, turn their reproach on their heads. It's okay to pray it. It's in the Bible here, but not against people, okay? Not against people. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Notice they were attacking Israel. They were attacking the, the Jewish people. But Nehemiah says they're attacking you. And uh, in the New Testament, when, when people attack, when Paul was attacking the church, Jesus appeared to him and said, you're persecuting me. That's good news for you that when somebody comes against you, God says, they're picking on my people. They're, they're, they're picking a fight with me. That's what he's saying, okay? Verse 6, so we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for the privilege it is to be together. And God, if we ever question that it is, it is a privilege, God, we say today, Lord, thank you for that. Lord, thank you that there is a unique experience as we gather together as your people around your word. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that this is not just my word, but it's your word. And so now we ask, Holy Spirit, would you come, breathe on this word. God, I pray that you would anoint me to preach and to teach your word. Father, I pray that you would anoint every person to hear and to receive by faith what you have for us. And God, thank you, Lord, that through this, Lord, you're going to help us, Lord, to have an uprising of faith. Lord, I pray for every person today, Lord, that may feel burdened, God, that may feel like their life has been heading in a downward direction. God, I pray that now would be the moment that there would be a turnaround in their hearts, Father. Through Jesus, we pray and we give you thanks in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been in this book for a few uh, weeks now, or maybe a couple of months now, and uh, we, we saw at the beginning of Nehemiah that Nehemiah was away from Jerusalem. He was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, and he heard the condition of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that when he heard of the condition of Jerusalem, he sat down and wept. And we talked about how everything that God does begins with a man or a woman who will be willing to carry a godly burden. And, and Nehemiah took the burden on, and we talked about what does it look like to live with a burden for the world around us. And then we saw not only that, but Nehemiah then entered into a due diligence period. Every, every 
project that God has has a due diligence period. I don't know if you're aware of that, but you don't go from the start to the completion overnight. All the builders said, amen. Some of you know, Jen and I are in the process of having a swimming pool built, and uh, they said that we would have a swimming pool by Christmas. We didn't specify which Christmas that would be. Um, But there's always a due diligence period. There's always a due diligence period. And Nehemiah went through this due diligence period of just being faithful in the moment that God had put him. He didn't rush off immediately. He was faithful serving King Artaxerxes. He was faithful in the place that God had had put him. And, And his faithfulness brought the favor of God. And we talked about if you're in that season of time where maybe you feel like God's put something on your heart, but, but He's not yet opened the door, what do you do in the meantime? You just stay faithful where God has put you. And then we saw that finally when Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, he goes around and he surveys the condition of Jerusalem. He walks around, he sees the, the walls that had been broken down, he sees the condition of it. You know, when God had spoken so many promises of blessing over Jerusalem, now Nehemiah goes, and it's so far from that, but he doesn't just see it in the natural. He sees it through eyes of faith. He sees not just in the natural. He sees what God has said that it it could be and should be, and he catches a vision, and God always allows a burden to produce a vision in our hearts, and ultimately, God always uses people that have vision. Vision to change the world, vision to, to, to maybe start a business that serves the needs of people, vision to, to maybe start a family that doesn't just follow the pattern of the world, but, but a, a family that honors God and serves God. God always puts a vision in our hearts. And so Nehemiah had a vision, and then he went to the, the Jewish people and he cast the vision to the people. He said, let us rise up. And their response was, Uh, let us rise up. They resonated with his vision, and the Bible says that they set their hand to that good work. And I'd love to tell you that the end of Nehemiah from that point on just says, and they built the wall, and they all lived happily ever after. Uh, I'd love to tell you that it was very simple. There was the problem. They got the vision. They built the wall. It was teamwork, and everybody said, yay, team, and that was the end of it. I'd love to tell you that that is the way that it went, but that's not the way that it went. No sooner had they begun the work than the enemy began to show up. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, about exposing the enemy. Exposing the enemy. You see, whenever God puts a vision in your heart, whenever God uh, stirs your heart for something, uh, there's always an enemy. There's always resistance. And, and if you are not facing any resistance, I was told to stay in the light this morning, so I'm going to try to stay in the light. If you're not facing any resistance, let me just tell you this, it probably means you're not doing anything, because only things that have forward movement face resistance. But as soon as you begin to step forward, as soon as you begin to rise up, immediately there will be resistance that you will face. Sometimes when people come to Christ, we present the gospel of you can be forgiven of your sins and you can go to heaven when you die. And, and we say, if you want that, put your hand up. And they, they put their hand up and, and they're signing up to go to heaven when they die. But then all hell breaks loose against them. Who knows what I'm talking about? I, I'd love to tell you that, that 
as soon as you sign up to follow Jesus, that life is just peachy, that life is easy. But I have to tell you, that is not the case. As soon as you make a decision to live your life as a follower of Jesus, you become a target for the enemy. As soon as you say, Jesus, I want to live my life for you, you will begin to face resistance that you've never faced in your life. Why? Because things that make progress face resistance. Let me say it this way. Your progress is the enemy's problem. Your progress is the enemy's problem. As long as you were just living for yourself, as long as you were just doing what seemed right to you, as long as you were just living for me, myself, and I, how many of you know things kind of went okay? Things were pretty good. But as soon as you say, I'm not going to just live for myself, I don't want to have those habits anymore, I don't want to have those mindsets anymore, I don't want uh, to just be shaped by the people around me anymore, I, I've got to tell you this, that you become a target for the enemy. And just as Nehemiah and the Jewish people faced the enemy, every single one of us will face an enemy. Here it was Sanballat, Tobiah, it says in verse 7, the Ashdodites, the Ammonites, the Arabs. It was the axis of evil that was coming against God's people. And the same is true for us as followers of Jesus today. I'm not talking about people as our enemies, but the Bible reveals to us that there is an axis of evil that will come against your life. There, there is an axis of evil that will stand against God's plan and God's purpose for you. The, the Bible says it this way, Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So there is an enemy on your life. You, you say, well, what did I ever do to deserve an enemy? I'm such a nice guy. I'm such a nice girl. What, what did I ever do? Well, let me tell you this, you were made in the image of God. And do you know who the enemy hates? God. And as soon as you begin to say, I'm going to serve God, I want to follow God. I want to honor God. The, uh, the enemy begins to come against you. And I said there's an axis of evil. The Bible reveals to us that there is an a, a, a unholy triad of evil. The Bible says it this way, that it is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the, 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 the culture, the systems of our world that are contrary to God's plan and God's purpose. And sometimes we don't even notice it because it's like the, the, the ocean to the fish. We don't even notice the culture that we swim in. We don't even notice the, the culture of materialism that permeates our lives and our thinking until we begin to say, I'm going to be generous. Until we begin to say, uh, money is not my ultimate goal and my ultimate success. And people will start to say, are you crazy? Are you crazy? You gave how much? You're doing what with your Sunday morning? Why is that? It's the, it's the culture. It's what the Bible calls the world. Again, that's not people. We're not talking about people. We're talking about this, this atmosphere, this culture that pervades the world we live in that is contrary to God and His purpose. And Jesus said this, if you're, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Again, that's not people. The Bible's clear. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, so don't go out and pick a fight with somebody and say that, you know, you're overcoming the enemy. The, the, the people around us, your neighbors are not your enemy. 
They may not vote the way you like. They may not think the way you like. They're not your enemy. There is an enemy. They're not your enemy. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full, eternal life. And so when a man or a woman makes the decision, I'm going to turn from my way and I'm going to turn God's way, immediately there is resistance that begins to come. And sometimes we say, well, why in the world would I do that? If I, if I was just facing, if life was good, I was going with the flow, why would I ever want to face resistance? Well, in the words of Dr. Phil, how was that working for you? How was that working for you before? How many of you know, just give in to your selfish desires, just do whatever feels good, build your life around your feelings. How many of you know how that's going to end? Not well, okay? It's not going gonna, it's not gonna to end well. So when we say, God, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. The enemy comes against you. There is a battle that is waging around us. There is a war that is happening around us. That's why the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, that we're to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. I woke up a few weeks ago. One, one morning, I don't remember what morning it was, but, you know, we, had, we, we were making these steps towards getting a building. We were stepping out in faith. And, and to be honest, there was things in the natural that were just saying to me, there's no way that this can happen. There's no way that this can happen. And, and I began to feel, I've stepped out in faith. I'm going to have to stand up and say, I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, we, uh, we went the wrong direction. I, I was beginning to feel that. What have you done? Why, why in the world did you do that? And, and I, I felt one morning, even before I was conscious and awake, it, it, the, the first conscious thought in my mind when I woke up, I had this, this verse, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Now, I've read that verse before many times, but to be honest, I'd never put the fight of faith together with eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Paul says to Timothy, you're going to have to fight to lay hold of eternal life. Now, what's he talking about? He's not talking about going to heaven after you die. There is no fight to go to heaven after you die. All you do is put your faith in Jesus. The fight is in the area between here and heaven. The, 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 the fight of faith isn't to go to heaven when you die. That's already accomplished on the cross. The fight of faith is to prevail in life here and now. And if you want God's plan and God's purpose for your life, there is a fight that will have to be fought. You can't be passive and experience everything that God has for you. You can go to heaven when you die, but you can go through hell in the meantime. And there's many people that will go to heaven when they die, but they will live victimized and beat up and beat down in the meantime because they've never learned to fight the good fight of faith. Oftentimes we fight in every, other, every area of life except for our spiritual life. How many of you know if somebody broke into your house in the middle of the night, you're not just going to lay there and, and I hope you wouldn't just lay there and go, well, I guess we better... Give them the house and move on out. <laughs> you wouldn't say that. I hope you wouldn't. 
I don't know what you've got. I don't know if you've got a baseball bat. I don't know if you've got a stick. I don't know if you've got a vase by your bed, but I can guarantee you, you may consider yourself a pacifist, but if somebody comes in your house in the middle of the night, you're going to go MMA on them. I can just tell you that right now. And uh, if, you, if you would not, you need to find a roommate who will, okay? I, I remember when Jen and I first got married, uh, I had lived and I was still in college, and it was my first time living, uh, you know, without a dorm and uh, not in my parents' house or not with a roommate. It was my first time being the man of the house. And I remember like our first week, I, I remember... I was laying there, and I just kind of felt this different responsibility, you know? And I remember uh, we're laying there, and just as we're about to sleep, all of a sudden I hear this banging on the door. In my mind, it was banging on the door, and I saw a a group of vigilantes breaking down the door. Uh, They never were there any other time, but I was sure. In my mind, they were there. I leaped out of the bed, William Wallace style, and just went running into the family room, roaring. And Jen thought, I've married an insane man. I've married an insane man. And it turned out it was her shampoo and conditioner that had been stuck with suction cups on the wall and (laughs) fell in the shower. So we still don't let suction cups, we still don't let that happen in our house. But but I got to tell you, I'm glad that I responded that way. I'm glad I didn't respond, sweetheart, go check on it. Sweetheart, get out there and, 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 and make sure everything's okay and come just tell me, tell me you know, if you need any backup, you know. Uh, I, I went into warrior mode, and I want you to hear this, that, that, that there needs to be something on the inside of you that when the enemy comes against you, when the enemy uh, unleashes an attack, what the Apostle Paul says, the day of evil, when it comes, that you have learned how to fight in such a way that you just don't pull the covers over your head and, and, and try to ignore it. I, I pray that there is some fight in your spirit. And, and let me say this, that's the, way so, that's the reason why sometimes we need to push ourselves out of our comfort zone even before we're in the fight. How many of you know that the military on this Memorial Day weekend, the, mil- the military does not wait until you're in war to teach you how to fight? In fact, the majority of time is spent in the military. People can spend their whole career never at war, but simply training and preparing. Why? Because the day will come. And when the day comes, you don't wait until that day to get ready. You've got to be prepared now. And I want to tell you the same is true spiritually, that there needs to be a vigilance. The Bible says it this way. Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, again, let me just be clear. I'm not talking about violence against people. Regardless of how far somebody is from God, they're not your enemy. God loves them. He gave himself for them. So we're not talking about, you know, violence in that way, but we are talking about something on the inside that says, I'm not just going to lay down and let the enemy destroy my family. I'm not just going to lay down and let the enemy destroy the future, the call, the purpose that God has for my life. There's a, there's a little bit of fight on the inside of me. There's a little bit of uh, a, a little warrior spirit that comes up on the inside of me. That's why sometimes I I pray, you know, the Bible says that we should pray with all kinds of prayer, all kinds of prayer. That means there's different kinds of prayer. Sometimes you pray the now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. Who knows what I'm talking about? 
Sometimes with my kids at night, at the end of the day, it's like, I'm half asleep. I'm praying, Lord, thank you. Um, it's a short, it's, it's, it's an easy prayer. But then there's other moments when you pray a warfare prayer, that, that you pray um, in, in, with energy. As the Bible says, pray in the Spirit. And, and if you never have learned how to pray in the Spirit, when the enemy comes against you, you don't know how to resist because the war is in the Spirit. And so we need to train. Sometimes we've just got to push ourselves a little bit. Sometimes when you come in on a Sunday, you may feel like, man, I've not even had my coffee. Uh, Justin, I'm here on Memorial Day weekend. Isn't that enough? Come on. Why do you have to say, stand to your feet? Why do you have to say, put your hands together? Why do you have to say, lift up your voice? Come on. Why do we say that? Because I want you to know how to rule your spirit. I, I want you to know when the enemy comes against you, that you don't just have to say, oh, you know, Pastor Justin, pray for me, pray for me. Well, I'll pray for you. But you need to learn how to fight for yourself. You need to learn how to fight against the work of the enemy. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Lay hold of your future. Lay hold of your family, what God has for your family. Don't let the enemy destroy your family while you sit by passively. You need to fight for your friendships, not fight with your friends, but fight for your friendships. Don't let the enemy come in and bring division and bring, uh, you know, schisms and all kinds of problems. You've got to learn how to fight your thoughts. How many of you know that's the primary place where the battle is waged? It's, it's in our minds. That's why the Bible says you've got to put on the helmet of salvation. Your spirit's gotten already saved, but your mind has to get saved. How many of you know sometimes your mind can be a million miles away? Some, some of us, two of us in here are still working. Three of us, some of us, uh, even now, breakthroughs happening here. People's minds are getting saved. You go to heaven when you die, but God wants you to see his kingdom come on earth. He doesn't want you to live with your family in shambles. He doesn't want you to live with, with uh, relationships and, and your soul in turmoil. He doesn't want you to live broken and in bondage to the enemy here and now. He wants you to walk in victory. That's why the Bible says, praise be to God who always leads us in triumph. Praise be to God who always leads us in triumph and through us diffuses the fragrance of his victory in every place. God wants you to be a person that spreads the victory of Jesus Christ. He's already won it. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. But we are enforcing the victory that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And in the empty tomb, we're enforcing that victory. There was a period of time between the signing of the surrender by the, the Nazi forces in Europe, there was a period of time when there was still forces that although they had already been defeated, they were still fighting the fight. And that's what we find ourselves in. We live in contested territory. The, the enemy's already defeated. The war's already, already been finished by Jesus, but we are enforcing the victory of Jesus Christ. And there will be a day that will come that Jesus will return and vanquish every enemy, defeat every enemy. But right now, the Bible says that he's given us the authority 
The sovereignty of God, the beautiful wonder that Jesus is the king, should not make us passive. It, gives us, it doesn't give us passivity. It should give us authority. You are the delegated authority. In your neighborhood, don't sit by with problems in your neighborhood, problems in your school, problems in your workplace, and just be a victim. You have the authority. You've been given the authority of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said this, that we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he should take advantage of us. Sometimes we like to say ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. I know this is going back now some decades, which is hard to believe, but how many of you remember September 12, 2001? That was probably the safest day in American history. September 12, 2001, the day after we had been attacked. Why? Because now we knew we had an enemy. We knew we had an enemy. And, and God wants you to recognize, don't wait until you're under attack. Live in that place of preparation. Fight the good fight of faith. So I want to give you today, out of this passage, some tactics of the enemy. Some tactics of the enemy. Today we're going to talk about the enemy. Next Sunday we're going to talk about our weapons of warfare. So make sure you come back next Sunday, okay? But today, today, tactics of the enemy. How, how do we... How do we learn what the enemy does? Some of you guys have uh, had some fights uh, in the natural. Jarrett, you did some boxing. Casey, I heard that you've, you're a bad man, I heard. I heard. Uh, some, of, some of you have, have fought in a sport, perhaps, or maybe even just as an athlete. What do you do? You watch your opponent, right? You watch your opponent. Is that right, Casey? You, you want to understand. You, you don't want to get into the ring. Jarrett, am I right? You don't want to get into the, to the ring. These guys give me street credibility. I gotta get, Casey, I've got your phone number. I need to make sure I have it on speed dial. Um, you don't get into the ring and just learn about your enemy on the fly, right? You've got to be prepared. And so I want to give you uh, some tactics of the enemy. And here's what I believe God wants to do today. God wants to unveil the tactics of the enemy. God wants to reveal the plans of the enemy that have come against your life because some of us live victimized by the enemy and, and we don't even know that it's the enemy. Again, I'm not just talking about Satan. I'm talking about uh, our own flesh. I'm talking about the world around us. And, and we live victimized by the enemy. And so four things. The first thing I want you to see, look in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 2. It says, and he spoke before his brethren. This is Sanballat and the army of Samaria. And he said... What are these feeble Jews doing? What are these feeble Jews doing? These weak Jews, what are they doing? Will they fortify themselves? Can they defend themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? In other words, who do they think they are? They think they're actually going to worship God? Have you ever had that where, where you come into worship and suddenly you have a thought that comes in your mind? Who do you think you are? Don't lift those hands in the air. I know where those hands have been. I know what you've been doing. I know what you've been saying. Who do you think you are to open up your mouth and worship God? And the enemy will begin to remind you of everything that you've done in order to defeat you, to make you feel weak. 
And the first thing that I believe is a tactic of the enemy is insecurity is a tactic of the enemy. Insecurity is a tactic of the enemy. The enemy will always come, and, and as soon as you step out, the enemy will say, Ooh, what did you think you were doing there? You step out, you, maybe you're starting to follow Jesus, and there's a prayer meeting, and, and, and you come, and you, maybe you pray out, and as soon as you leave, the enemy says, that was, the, that was a dumb prayer. That was just a dumb prayer. Hey, who's ever had those kinds of thoughts? The rest of you, please stand up and fly around the room, okay? We need, we've all had it. We've all had it. Who do you think you are? Insecurity, insecurity, taunting and attacks on our identity. You feeble Jews, the enemy always loves to attack your identity. He did it to Jesus. It's the oldest trick in the book. When Jesus came out of the baptism waters, the voice from heaven spoke, this is my beloved son, this is in whom I'm well pleased. As soon as he goes into the wilderness, the enemy comes and says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, throw yourself off of the mountain. If you're the son of God, bow down and worship me. What, is he, what was he doing? He was attacking Jesus's identity. I want you to know this, that our enemy is an identity thief. He is an identity thief. He will always attack your identity. He, he will lure you into sin, and then he will call you names for doing it. And, and here's what I want you to see, that yes, the Jews were feeble in the natural. Yes, it was a ragtag group in the natural. But they weren't working just according to their identity in the natural. They were working according to what God had said about them. God had said about Israel. These are my chosen people. These are my promised people. These are the people that I'm going to bless. And they're going to be like the sand of the, of the sea. They're going to be like the stars of the sky. And through them, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. You see, the enemy loves to attack our natural identity. You're to this. You're to that. God will never use you. You've messed up. You've, did, you've done it again. You're a failure. Those are the words of the enemy. And so many times, we don't recognize it as the enemy. We don't recognize this. I'm under attack. We, we need a, a, a siren that goes off in our heads that when these, when these assaults come against us, when these words of the enemy that that speak defeat, that speak lies over us. We need a siren that goes off that says, warning, warning, attack, attack. The enemy's coming against you. Lift up the shield of faith. Lift up the shield of faith. We've got to recognize the work of the enemy. The name Sanballat here, the one who was speaking, Sanballat, his name means secret thorn. Secret thorn. And so many of us live with a secret thorn in our lives, a secret thorn of insecurity, that every time we step out, every time we, we say, God, I want to believe you for something great in my life. God, I want to stand for your promise and your purpose for my life. There's a thorn that sticks us, that sticks us, that we feel, I, I, as soon as we step out, that voice says, you can't do it. You're going to fail. It's not going to happen. It's a, it's a thorn. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing. Paul understood that. 
That's why Paul said, I've got this thorn in the flesh. He doesn't tell us what it is, but he said, I've prayed to the Lord to take it away. But God has said, Jesus has said this, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in what? Your weakness. So your weakness is the very thing that qualifies you for God's power to be released in your life. And so when the enemy comes against you, you've got to recognize this isn't God's word for your life. This is an attack of the enemy. There's all kinds of, uh, of ways that that manifests in our lives. We can feel, you know, maybe somebody spoke words over you as a child. You can never do that. You're always going to be this. Maybe it's something in your family line. Well, this is what we do because we're the Smiths or we're the fill in the blank. I'm sorry, not Smiths. Ross and Brittany are here, so it's not the Smiths. The Johnsons, the <laughs> whatever, whoever that is. Johnson and Smith are like the two most common last names, so we'll use those. And you think that's what, I'll always be that way because that's what's happened. That's an attack of the enemy. That's an attack of the enemy. We've got to recognize the attack of the enemy. Number one is insecurity. The second thing, and I need to move quickly because I, I believe God wants to do something this morning, and we're going to have some time for prayer. The second thing I want you to see is it goes on. It says, will they fortify themselves? Nehemiah 4.2. Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? You think you're spiritual? Will they complete it in a day? Will they complete it in a day? And the answer to that is no, they would not complete it in a day. It would be 52 days. But how many of you know the enemy not only likes to ridicule your identity, but the enemy also loves to ridicule the timeline of God's purpose for your life. The enemy will always use discouragement. That's my second point. The enemy will use discouragement to try to defeat you. Is this going to happen in a day? And they go, no, we've already been, this is three days. Three days? The enemy will always attack the timeline that it takes to fulfill God's purpose. Here's what it sounds like. You're still believing for that? You're still standing in faith? You're, you're, you still believe God's got a call on your life? You still believe there's something beyond the place you're at? You're still holding on to that prophetic word? That's been decades ago. You need to just move on. Let me tell you, it's the enemy. It's the enemy. And it is in the military what they call a war of attrition. Do you know what a war of attrition is? A war of attrition is just small attacks over time. And the purpose is to just wear the, the opponent out over time. And some of us allow these constant attacks, constant barrage of thoughts of discouragement. You, you're never going to make it. You're never going to get there. You're never going to see what God has called you to be, to have, to do. You're never going to see it fulfilled. The enemy shows up and, and says this in our minds. Oh, you're still believing for that? Oh, you're still, you're still believing for a miracle? You're still believing for a dream? You're still believing that word? You're still faithful in that marriage. You're still believing for that baby. You're still talking about that calling. You're still standing on that truth. And let me tell you, a tactic of the enemy is to wear you down through waiting. Why? Because waiting is warfare. 
Waiting is warfare, and the the enemy will use waiting to try to discourage you. But here's the beauty of God, that just as the enemy will want to use waiting to discourage you, God will use waiting to bring victory into your life. That's why the Bible says this, those who wait on the Lord, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. The enemy comes and he says, you're still believing for that. And you say, yeah, my faith is getting stronger. I'm waiting, and while I'm waiting, God is working, and there's about to be a victory that's going to come. There's about to be a breakthrough that's going to come. There's about to be a miracle. God's about to show up. How many of you know that when the pain begins to increase, it means there's about to be a breakthrough? There's about to be a breakthrough in in birth and birthing babies. I've been there for four deliveries, and there's there's a stage The final stage of birthing, the final stage of of delivery is called transition. And and it's in transition that that the pain becomes so unbearable. I've been with my wife, a superhero who didn't take any drugs. I took them, she didn't. (laughs) But you reach that point where you say, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I remember her saying, I can't do it. And the midwife said, you're doing it. You're doing it. Give me, give me the drugs. I can't. It's too late. The baby's here. And it's in, that pain. it's in that moment when you feel the pain, when you feel like, I can't do it. I want to I throw in the towel. God is stretching you. He's stretching you. And I believe God is stretching some of us today. God is stretching you. You're in a moment of pain, and you feel like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. You want to tap out. You want to throw in the towel. God's saying, I'm stretching you. I'm stretching you. I'm birthing my calling for your life. I'm birthing my destiny for your life. I shouldn't do hand motions at that time. God's birthing something. I believe God. I believe I went to some birthing classes, and wow, that really <laughs> tarnished me forever. I, as I was preparing, I felt like the Lord said this. There's some of you that are in transition. There's some of you in transition. You feel like you want to throw in the towel. You know, let me tell you this. As a church, I believe we're in transition. We've been in transition. We're, we've been in transition. We've been through a moment where, to be honest, there was moments where we felt like, I'm not sure if we can do this. But what's happening? God is building your faith. He's building your faith. That's why the, the, I believe it's the book of 1 John that says, this is our victory, our faith. Even this, our faith. So while you're waiting, you're in that most difficult period. You think it's not going to happen. God is moving in that moment. You, if you are in a place where you say, I want to give up. I can't do this. Just keep waiting. Keep waiting. God is working while you're waiting. God is working. He's strengthening you. It's resistance that builds muscles, I've heard. Resistance builds muscles. I tried working out with weights one time. They're just so heavy. (laughs) The book of Ephesians says this, Having done all to stand, stand. Having done all to stand, and you don't know what else to do, just keep standing. The author of Hebrews said it this way, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher 
of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every other name. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He didn't want to go to the cross. It was the joy before him. There's joy. Why do people keep having babies? The joy. The joy. The joy. God's bringing something into your life. If you're facing resistance, you're facing pain, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season. We shall reap if we do not lose heart. God's plan always has a due season attached to it. So number one, the first tactic of the enemy is insecurity. The second is discouragement. The third is this. Look at what it says. I'm going to pick up in verse 7. Verse 7, it says, Now it happened when Sembalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And they conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. The third tactic of the enemy is confusion. The Bible says this, that God's not the author of confusion, but of peace in all the churches. So if you face confusion, you need to recognize that's not from God. It can be a tactic of the enemy, our own flesh, the world around us. Even Satan himself comes against us. And look at what the Bible says. If you keep reading on in verse 10, it says this, Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Notice it's Judah. Judah means praise. But rather than speaking praise, they begin to see the problems. Look at what they said. There is so much rubbish. Sounds very British, doesn't it? There's so much rubbish. For those of you that don't speak British, that means trash, garbage. I think you know. There's so much rubbish. What was the enemy doing? The the enemy was allowing the rubbish to build up in order to create confusion. What is rubbish? Rubbish is just the byproduct of life. How many of you know rubbish happens? Rubbish happens, right? If you have... Where there is no life, there is no rubbish. Where there is life, there will be rubbish. There will be problems. And the enemy will love to use a problem to get your eyes off of God's purpose. And he will use it to confuse you. How many of you know we've had some rubbish over the last 12 months, 15 months? There's been some rubbish in our world. There's been things that have created confusion. And here's what the enemy wants to do through confusion. He wants to get us to begin to fight against the wrong enemy. If he can create confusion, he can can engage us in friendly fire. One of the greatest causes of death in war is friendly fire. In the war in Iraq, 20% of the deaths were caused through friendly fire. I have to tell you, in the church, I'm afraid that percentage may be higher. The enemy uses confusion to cause us to fight the wrong battle, to engage in friendly fire. Here's what it sounds like. Did you see the sign in his yard? Did you? It's getting quiet now. I'm talking application. Did you see what she posted on social media? I can't believe she did that. Blast her. Blast him. Has there been any of that over the last year? 
If you're sitting by the person that you were fired, or if they're in the room, don't look at them right now, okay? Don't look at it. Just look straight ahead. I'm glad we don't, that's, that's not our spirit here. That's not our spirit here. Let me tell you, if you're ever in an environment where there is what Paul says, biting and devouring one another, everybody's fighting against each other, you'll know it is good and pleasant when people dwell in unity. The enemy would love to use confusion to get us to fight the wrong battle. We don't fight against each other. We fight for each other. We fight for each other. So we need to recognize that we don't engage in friendly fire. That doesn't mean that, you know, there's not going to be some rubbish that comes up. That happens. It's part of life. But we're not going to fight against each other. The enemy uses confusion. The fourth thing I want you to see, and I'm going to say this really quickly, is the enemy uses compromise. The enemy uses compromise. Number one, the enemy uses insecurity. The enemy uses discouragement. The enemy uses confusion. And the enemy uses compromise. Verse 12 said this, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times from whatever place you turn, they will come upon us. So here they are, they're building the wall, and there comes this group of people that come saying, hey, from wherever they turn, wherever we turn, they're going to they're gonna come upon us. They're God's people, but they are echoing the, the threats of the enemy. And I want you to notice who these people are. It says it's the Jews who dwelt near them, who dwelt near the enemy. Let, let me say it this way. The closer you, you live to the enemy, the louder the threats will be. The closer you live to the enemy, the louder the attacks will be. Now, God had said to Israel when they went into this promised land that they were to, to drive out all of the enemy. But now here they are. They've gotten cozy with the enemy. They're neighbors with the enemy. They're neighbors with the enemy. You know, in America, we have a policy that is we will not negotiate with terrorists. And, and here's the reason why we have that policy is because when someone wants to totally destroy you, this is, not an, uh, this is not something that you can just kind of navigate, negotiate a peaceable solution. It, this, this group or this person wants to utterly destroy you. There's no way to negotiate with that person. And the Bible says that the enemy wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Do you know the best place to fight a terrorist? This is probably the most military-themed message I've ever spoken. Uh, Memorial Day. You know the best place to fight a terrorist? As far from home as possible, right? We didn't want to wait until ISIS was in Winter Park before we rose up, right? If they're in Winter Park, it's too late, okay? And some of us allow the enemy to come so close that we get so comfortable that we, 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 uh, we, we become vulnerable to attack. We've made Pinch your neighbor. They got some flesh. We all have flesh, and, and, and we can allow the flesh to rise up. We can allow some flesh to be like the Monty Python. I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet, right? The Bible says mortify the flesh, put the flesh to death. And we can say, oh, it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. I tell my boys this. 
That's like having a little bear cub. You know, sin is kind of like a bear cub. It's cute when it starts. You know the only problem with a bear cub? It grows up to be a bear, and it bites your face off, okay? That's the problem, and sin is the same way. Sin's the same way. I'm not trying to be some moralist, you know. We all deal with it, but let me say this. The enemy wants to destroy you. Don't allow compromise in your life. Don't allow compromise in your life. That's why the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 8, about the adulterous woman. Remove your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Because if you go near, you're going to put one foot in. After you put the foot in, the whole body's going to come in, and it's downhill from there. Okay? So remove your way far from her. Where we compromise today, we will have to fight tomorrow. We'll have to fight tomorrow. Goes on to say this. Kendall, you can come back. It doesn't say that. I said that. But Nehemiah, we're going we're gonna to look at their response. And Nehemiah 4, verse 20, Nehemiah rallies the troops. He rallies Israel. They say, we're going we're gonna to put a sword on one side, and we're going to build and battle at the same time. We're going to stand against the works of the enemy. But here's the good news. Nehemiah says this, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, Rally to us there. Come together in that place. Why? Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Here's the good news of the gospel is that the battle has already been won. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. God's already won the battle. If you are facing resistance today in your mind, in your heart, your emotions, maybe guilt or shame over the past or maybe confusion in your mind, the battle has already been won. The battle's already been won. I want to ask you if you would to stand to your feet. We're going to move quickly.